Let's go live with Jack Kelly. Welcome to the one-of-a-kind LinkedIn live show that will help you with your job search and advancing your career. We will bring in educated career experts who will share their insights and give you inside tips on how to be successful in your job search. Now let's get into today's show with your host, Jack Kelly. We're live. All right, we are live. So let's go live with Jack Kelly. And hey, Eric, I want to hand it off to you so you could kind of introduce everybody and we're going to have a, we're going to have a, a great, amazing session today. Thanks, Jack. Ha ha hello, everyone. I'm nervous. I can't believe it. <laughs> um, I'm Eric Young, and I'm here with a great panel today. Um, first with Ellen Simlis with, with Guidehouse, and I'll let each of them introduce themselves. And Marianne uh, Bullion, who is uh, also going to introduce herself with um, with Bitcoin IRA, and they've got incredible experience. And today we're going to talk about crypto, ESG, and lots and lots of other fun things. Thank you, Jack Kelly, for always hosting these. Uh, they're always a lot of fun, and I look forward to participating. Thanks, Eric. Yeah. So, so you know what? Maybe we could start um, crypto. Um, if, you, if people haven't noticed, uh, there's not such a thing as Bitcoin and crypto. I'm sure you haven't heard anything of it lately because, <laughs> I mean, oh my God, you can't escape, right, Marianne? I mean, <laughs> the conversation is nonstop with it. Dogecoin, what is it? Dogecoin, Dogecoin, Doge. <laughs> you know, so crypto, it's, it's, it's just, you can't escape it. So maybe you could tell as an expert in the field, What's going on in the space? What's happening? Should compliance, legal risk people kind of move over there? Is this is this something safe and secure and is growth? Well, what do you think? Well, first of all, Jack, Eric, thanks so much for inviting me here to the panel. It's very exciting to be here and I love talking about cryptocurrency. So it's an exciting time in the world. Um, a little bit about me personally, I do work for um, a company called Digital Asset Group. Their primary brand is Bitcoin IRA. I'm their general counsel and chief compliance officer. Prior to that, I spent eight years with the FDIC. And then I was a, I'm an attorney, so I was a, a law firm lawyer before that. Um, crypto has come a long way in you know the last 10 years. It was created to be some kind of alternative for people to engage in trade uh, and avoid the central banking system. But as we've seen, it has turned into something completely different. Um, obviously, the regulators have gotten a hold of it. Um, and while it was somewhat of the Wild West at one point, and maybe some people still feel like it is, um, it's a it's turned into a highly regulated area and and very exciting place to start working on investments. So you look at Bitcoin, which was the you know let's say the original uh, cryptocurrency, meaning and in cryptocurrency meaning meaning that it's decentralized, um, that it's crypto cryptographically um, safe, and then also based on the blockchain ledger. The blockchain itself uh, produces the coin and then also is the accounting ledger that's transparent and open to the world so that it makes it very hard to copy um, or, or uh, fake these types of coins, right? So that's, that's cryptocurrency. Now, what's happened from Bitcoin, um, Bitcoin, I think, originally should have been some kind of payment system. That's what it but, was supposed to be, right? right? It was this supposed to kind of be right? a payment system. That, but, that you could buy and sell, but now it's $60,000. Right. You can't buy pizza anymore. Doing so <laughs> it's interesting how that, that you know, came to be. I think it primarily crypto, uh, Bitcoin itself um, was a cryptocurrency that was created with a limit, meaning there's only a, a finite number of Bitcoins available in the world. And so as other cryptocurrencies came into the, into the world, um, that were actually built to be better payment systems, Bitcoin itself became more of a value storage system. So more of an asset that acts like gold or something like that and has its value based on popularity in the market, you know, the, the supply and demand type of situation. And then you see other currencies have come out. So you look at the Litecoin, the Ripple, those have become more oriented towards a better payment system. They're not finite. Um, and actually, they, the, the ledger system works faster, meaning that the, the transactions can go faster and faster. So they've actually built more cryptocurrencies that are better payment systems than Bitcoin. So Bitcoin itself is kind of, 
you know, so some some companies are coming out using Bitcoin as a payment system. I've seen um, all sorts of transactions from people buying homes with Bitcoin. But uh, if it's going to go up in value, you know, it's at sixty thousand. What if it does go up to a hundred thousand? Do you really want to use that as a form of payment? Marianne, can I can I ask a question? Maybe to throw this out to everybody because mm-hmm. I, I imagine people have the same thoughts that I do about it. Watching, give you, let's say the last nine months on Twitter. I kept seeing so many folks on Twitter saying, it's moving, it's going, it's moving, you know, kind of this hype feel to it. Yeah. If there's a stock, you base a stock on, okay, hey, we had something that happened, so we're going to get more earnings, we'd have more revenue, maybe we made this acquisition. And there's a methodology to say, hey, here's the PE ratio, and you have some metrics why you could value it. But to me, it's been saying, and I'm not saying this to denigrate because I'll get all these Bitcoin and cryptos hating me and, and, and attacking me. But how, do you, Eric and Ellen, do you feel from, you know, Ellen working at a large, you know, prestigious management consulting firm, Eric being a CCO for great establishment, like, how do you, how do you balance those two? Like, do, do, do regulators have to look into it and say, how are they, how are they getting to that level? Is this artificial? Is it for real? Does that make sense? Is that like... Yeah, I, I do think that they're all different kind of coins, as as Marianne has right. said. And some are tied to a currency, some are tied to a basket of currency. So there are some that are you can actually focus on more and get more of understanding the value. Some of it, though, as Marianne said, it's really based on the market. It's market driven. Someone thinks something is valuable, so they're going to buy it. The idea that Bitcoin would be as much as Berkshire Hathaway is kind of wild, right? Like, so if, if, big sh- if, if, if a Bitcoin went up to 100,000 and you look at Berkshire Hathaway, which to get an A share, let's say, I don't know what it is today, but let's say that's 100,000. You can go and see what Berkshire Hathaway invests in and how it gets right. there. Exactly. You exactly. wouldn't be able to do that for Bitcoin exactly. other than you know what the market wants for it. Not so for Bitcoin, but I mean, if you look at Ethereum and the smart yes. contracts behind it and the stable Correct. coins, like you mentioned, that are actually backed by fiat and, and other assets, um, there oh, are. So I didn't use- realize that. So we, we uh, just, yes. uh, so, so it's, so as opposed to, let's say Bitcoin, you have others like Ethereum, that there is something behind yeah, it. Behind it. Okay. So yes, Ethereum is a, is a smart contrast. Con- they call it smart contracts, but essentially um, if I want to buy something the crypto cryptography within the blockchain actually allows the contract to be executed. So if I give my, they call it ether when they refer to just the coin, but if I pay you ether to purchase, you know, bananas or something like that, you know, from the public blockchain that the, that the money has been transferred or the funds, well, you know, the ether funds have been transferred. And so, you know, to ship the bananas and we don't have to go through a bank and we don't have to do any other paperwork. So that is a, is a use case for that particular coin and the stable coins like the USD coin um, and some of the new things coming out, those are actually backed by um, fiat or assets. PAX is one of the ones we have on our platform, which is backed by gold. So there is a a value behind some of these. Bitcoin itself, it was the first, and that one is really market-driven. Um, but the rest of them, as they've come out, have more and more use cases and more and more value that's actually tied to them. And some of the firms also come up with new products constantly that are mm-hmm. tied to something else. The, the question is, do you like what it's tied to or do you not like what it's tied to? And how, you know, how uh, volatile is what it's tied to? But that is that's actually how this, I think, compares to working in compliance anywhere or working in risk management mm-hmm. anywhere is understanding that product risk. What is the, what's the risk in that particular product that you're putting out that particular kind of coin? And that's what you've got to look to if you're in one of those roles within an organization. I, I'm sure Marianne, that that's what part of her job I'm assuming is to sort of go and look and understand what's there and where, where you're, you know, what's the risk involved in any of the products that they have. And I, and I would say, Jack, to your original question and, and the way uh, Ellen just described it is, when you say it's going up, what is it? Because there's so many different types of coins right now. Um, the analogy I use is it's like the derivatives as they were coming out in the 90s. No one really understood them. There were so many different types. Some are tied to underlying assets, as Marianne described. Mm-hmm. But people think of Bitcoin immediately. They think of fraud or crime. So it's the, the goal from a compliance point of view is 
understanding it, understanding the risk, demystifying it for product managers mm -hmm. and others and the board as to what is it? And most importantly, how do you book it? Is How do you mark the market uh, if you're trading it, if you're custodying it uh, from a banking point of view? So that one word, it, not to sound uh, philosophical, is important, just like it was for derivatives, but it's doable. And then the final point, we can talk about this more, is where will leverage come in? Because at some point, people want to get quick returns and leverage against it, which I, mm -hmm. I predict. And in that sense, that creates more risk. So risk reward, but it's understanding what it is, if that makes sense. No, I, that in your practice, Ellen, is there like a lot of- Oh my God. <laughs> the biggest issue that I have is that the crypto firms take my people that they, because they, they have been trained on how to do this. And I'm always fear, you know, I'm a little fearful when I go, when we start working with one that, okay, I have to, you're not going to take this person, right? We'll give you that person to work on this. You're not, and then sure enough, they offer them a lot of money and they, and I wind up, you know, sort of in this constant process of that, but it is a big area. And also I think that there's a maturation level that's going on right with these firms. Some of these firms are starting, you know, look, we just saw an IPO that was enormous. Right. Um, you want to have, firms need to have uh, infrastructure. They need to understand different lines of defense. They need to understand how this all works, but don't want to be a bank. And so what I, I think what I hear a lot is, okay, Alan, right. this is really good. We need this. We need to get licensed. We need to do this. But remember, we're not a bank. You don't have to give us the same stuff that a bank has. And so part of the analysis is, well, there's risk management and forget you're a bank. Every organization needs risk management. How do you do that? How do you make it fit right for the for the organization? How do you make it address the, the understanding of the risk and then having the, the mitigating controls to manage that risk properly? And every place is going to have a different risk tolerance. Every place is going to have you know a different way that they'll different risk acceptance. But you need to have the infrastructure in place and the tools to give people the ability to manage that and make decisions relating to that. And there's so, that's so many, kind of no many different types of, so many different types of risks attached to these cryptos, whether it be privacy, cyber, yes, uh, KYC. Well, and market and credit, just like everything else. And each one is different, so you have to know each coin to really assess the risks, especially. Exactly. Um, I, I also think it's interesting to point out, I think Jack, you had mentioned, you know, back in the day, people looked at it as something that was only used in crime or that it was unregulated. And you can see today, you know, fast forward many years, not only is it regulated in the sense that the SEC and the CFTC are, are, are in a, I wouldn't say battle, it looks like the SEC is winning over who's going to actually regulate cryptocurrency companies, but it, it, it is um, being regulated um, the FinCEN and the MSBs are, are all over making sure that these companies are regulated as an MSB. Um, the New York, obviously, with their BIT license, they, they are making sure that everyone becomes part of their regulatory organization as well. And so when I'm talking about risk, a lot of time I have to kind of demystify, like you said, I have to convince people that you know, what once was maybe unregulated or used in crime, um, you know, they say it's untraceable, perhaps maybe if you're in the dark web or something like that, but for the most part, because it's a public ledger and you're on your computer and your computer has an IP address, the, they're traceable. Um, the, the police are becoming savvy in how to, how to use, you know, how to find the criminals who are using cryptocurrencies. So, um, the, the regulatory landscape not only has changed, but has increased. So if you're talking from a perspective of someone who's looking to work in this industry, yeah, I would say five, even 10, 10, even five years ago, it was a little bit scary because we didn't know where it was going to go. But at this point, um, there's enough regulation in there to keep everybody employed well, <laughs> now so, and, and build a career from it. So it's... I mean, even the new anti-money laundering law that came out right. in January, you know, 2021, um, very specifically said that virtual currency firms now have to have a BSA program. Right. They are, they are a financial institution under the BSA. And so when that, you've got, you know, I don't think there was much question. I think most, pro, most you know, a Bitcoin, you know, firms had that. Most crypto firms had it. Um, I had some version of it, at mm -hmm. least if not all, they may not have had all the pieces 
or have it, you know, sort of the governance around it as you might want, but they, but now it is a requirement, a federal requirement that you have that. And so, and, and I'll tell you, you know, one of the parts of that is that they, um, the government wants more innovation. They always, mm -hmm. they want to encourage innovation. And mm -hmm. that's part of the, that's actually part of that statute too, to encourage innovation within every federal agency. So, you know, I agree with Marianne. I think this is not what it used to be. It's not your father's Bitcoin. I think it's, it's a different <laughs> world from where it is. Cash is still pretty untraceable too. Yeah. You yeah. Know, and that's still actually the, the most popular uh, form of, you know, exchanged used by the criminals. I mean, the criminals are not off cash. They, right. they, they realized that Bitcoin was interesting for a couple of years, but everyone's caught up to how to, how to, how to manipulate that and figure it's it out like and, a registered and track bond. it and trace it. Exactly. And, uh, and the January proposal is also interesting because at least according to some commenters like uh, Square, I, I read their comment letter, they're actually saying the KYC rules go beyond the rules for cash and, and mm -hmm. regular banking activities in which the KYC is required of the counterparty, not just of the underlying um, customer. So yeah. we perform work. more due diligence on our crypto customers than we do our traditional. We, yeah. we do all sorts of alternative assets that you can invest in your self-directed IRA. So, um, but our gold customers don't have to go through near the KYC that a crypto customer does. And that's primarily because our, our crypto partners are FINRA regulated and they require it. Um, and even, even before the new laws came out, in order for us to get bank accounts, in order for us to get insurance, we had to have BSA AML policies. We had to be able to show that we knew how to at least self-regulate if we weren't regulated by a, by a specific body. So um, it, for me, it's never felt like an unregulated field. I think it was just perhaps the regulations were unclear, or for me, it was actually more conflicting jurisdiction. Right. You know, yeah. am I a MSB? Do I need to talk to the SEC? Which which of these regulators do I need to talk to? Not do I need to talk to a regulator at all? It, it's so interesting, Marion, because you know it reminds me of there was a time where hedge funds really came to the forefront, and I remember that at that time as well, I would speak to candidates about hedge funds. They're like, "Oh no, this is." This is a little scary. What you know? What is this all about? And then within no time, they're like, Jack. Oh, you know, I want to work for a hedge fund. I want to work for a hedge fund. You know, it became this sexy kind of cool thing to go there. So I guess that's a general evolution in these things. And like for instance, for Eric and, and Ellen, I, I've seen a proliferation of all these interesting fintech companies, and that seems to be another kind of hot growing area. Like, what are you seeing? And Marianne, I know you, you're crypto, but you do other things too. Are you mm -hmm. seeing a lot of like cool, interesting companies emerging that are competing with the banks and offering, you know, a lot of job opportunities too, just like crypto will be. I mean, so absolutely. Right. Um, it's, it's how do we make payment systems faster? How do we make them safer? How do we make people feel more comfortable with them? Um, I know, for example, our company, when, you know, you call us, well, first of all, getting an account is very quick. Um, and it doesn't mean you don't go through KYC, but it's all, it's all technologically integrated. Um, so we don't have to necessarily go outside the system. So the number of people that it takes to process an application is less because everything is, is technology based. Um, the ability for us to work 24 hours a day, seven days a week, um, and, and really actually um, it supports the whole remote working kind of uh, mindset, which means that you can get rid of some of the overhead in old real estate in big cities, that kind of thing. So they're, they're able to act more nimbly and not within the confines of this traditional structure where um, you, know, you have to have a team of 10 people in order to review an application because now we have computers and AI doing some of that work for us. But I think the fintechs are a little different, at least the newer fintechs are a little different maybe than hedge funds and that the focus mm -hmm. is often on the consu on consumer banking, right? Right. It's often on the underserved or the Correct. You know, those who aren't so that if you think about a Marcus or Hazel or any of these new entities that, yeah. are, that, are, that are coming out, it's really about and PayPal, you know, for, for that mm -hmm. matter, it's yeah, really probably. about serving people who haven't been served or can't be served, haven't been able to be served in the current, um, fin you know, major financial institutions. And there's a lot of money to yes. be there. There's a lot of, there's a lot to be done, but it is also has, and I think the attraction to some people is that 
it's serving a community that hasn't been served before and that they can touch it more. That it's, it's easier for them to understand that and to sort of connect with that than institutional investing, you know. In even, even internationally in some of your, um, you know, not first world countries, so to speak. I mean, yeah. you, you, everybody has a cell phone, but not everyone can get to a bank. And, the um, and, and so that, that just facilitates what you've just pointed out, Ellen. Right. And is a bank even needed going forward over the next five to 10 years? And we've seen this trend before of disintermediation versus the role of banks going forward. And the banks always end up being part of the equation, but with the financial crisis of a few years ago, the question is, do we need or want banks because there are so much interdependencies in the, in the payment system? So perhaps these new players predicting will create less risk, not more risk, but we'll see. So Eric, that's a really good point. So do you think it play out where either A, the banks won't have much as much power when you have all these new emerging cool companies in the fintech space, or are the banks that have you know a lot of money will just say, you know what, we'll just buy you guys out and integrate it, and now we have markets, or now we right. have whatever it's kind usually. of thing. What do you it's a combo at least now yeah. a little bit of everything you think yeah yeah I think that that if you're a true you know um, person who really likes crypto if you're a true crypto person you don't want to deal with the financial you you sort of are against them like if you looked at what happened during the financial crisis ten years ago you're saying look you did that through because you leveraged all these mortgage backed securities exactly. you did these things and we didn't know where our money was. And we actually, the, the average person may have been hurt, their pension fund might have been hurt, there are other things. Mm -hmm. We wanna see what we've got. We wanna know where it is, we wanna know where it sits. We don't want securitization of crypto. We don't want any of that stuff. That's you bank who, you know, you bank- And personal control, not, not passing on the control of your financial future to maybe even an advisor. People really wanna take the power of their financial future into their own hands. Um, so that's an I interesting think that, point, right? You know, I don't mean, but like what Ellen was saying, like it's interesting because I wonder if you follow through because my kids are Gen Zs, and they have they're gonna have zero interest to to Marianne to speaking with a live financial advisor who's gonna be like, "Hi, yeah. how are you? Let's talk." You know, no way. They just want to pick up their phone and do it. You know. Yes, but you know, they but Jack, the other control. side to that is you have to know what you're doing. Yeah. So there's, sure, there's, the book, there's danger. Right, yep. right. Random Walk Down Wall Street. I don't know if you guys know that book. Sure. It's a guy, Burt Malkiel, you know, from Princeton who wrote it. He's in like its 12th edition or something. And his position was always, there's no way you're going to know an individual stock. You know, you might learn about one stock, but you can't know the whole stock market unless that's what you do every single day. You spend your life focused on that, right? And then, and so maybe you like some particular stock, but you know, what, whatever it is, GameStop or whatever, you kind of like something, but you can't mm -hmm. possibly know how the market's really gonna move. So you have to diversify, you should go into funds, you should do different things. It's the same concept with some of the coins as well. You can't know all of them unless mm -hmm. all you do is really study them and study this, you know, study the market extensively. You're never gonna know like what other, you know, what someone who is a professional in that space really knows. So I don't care if you're a Gen Z, I don't care what you are. It's what you invest in. You should, you know, it's always good to be able to have someone who that's their job to study this and to help guide you one way or the other. But, oh, not, you know, some don't want to do it. That's likely to, to be a lesson that could be learned from all this, Ellen, is that when people do take some of the control over for themselves and see what the risks are, I mean, you're exactly right. Some people are, are highly tuned into these areas. And then some people are just fans. I mean, especially in crypto, yeah. they've right. got huge fan bases that people really believe in one coin or the other. I, I don't know that I've seen people like stock or, or other investments in the same way as this is almost it's a, it's this um, double -edged rock sword, star though. type, it's type it's fan. double-edged sword though, because, you know, people love a particular stock and they'll They'll sell it, pump and dump. Which is sort of right. Exactly. That's, that's, the, that's, that's going back to your Dogecoin. Yeah. I mean, right. it, that's exactly that's right. what happened there. And it goes back to, I know I, it sounds silly, but what is it? And it needs to be communicated, educated, whether regulators, investors in particular, because they also need to understand their own risk tolerance. And then the firms like, like yours, Marianne, um, need the understanding of, of where they're heading in terms of risk tolerance, uh, which mm -hmm. which is great that, that, that you're there because you're helping with the infrastructure, but there's so you'll many- You'll see, I think career-wise, you'll see that the 
most of these fintechs are hiring legal and compliance. And I think that they're doing it before maybe a brick and mortar bank would have done in the past. Um, You know, you you build the operations and you make sure that that's compliant, but do you hire a general counsel, you know, at the, at the start of your business? Um, But you're seeing, you're seeing, yeah, right. Usually you're not, you're not paying for that kind of overhead and, and how much legal work do you really have? But these fintechs have, a lot of regulatory yeah. work and a lot of regulators they have to deal with. You need somebody who knows that arena. Uh, so it's created a kind of different um, career oh, landscape for the regulatory yeah. and, and legal leaders because they're being brought into um, the, the the risk scope of the board and, and looking towards the future of the company earlier than they would have perhaps with other companies. Can I, can I throw this out to all of you guys? So do you think in part with the ascendancy of cryptocurrencies, with the whole Wall Street bets, Reddit, you know, Robinhood, GameStop phenomena, is this kind of because we're in this bubble where people are at home, they have stimulus checks, um, white collar workers who are working from home have this extra time and want a little action, that it's created this combination of things that people are just speculating like wild. And if it wasn't for this whole pandemic, that wouldn't happen. And that is everything kind of artificially, you know, you know, creating this big balloon that could bust because it's, you know, it's possible because the issue is not unemployment, actually, it's disposable income. Mm. So if people are sitting and have disposable income, you know, they may be getting stimulus checks and they have and they have disposable income. And if they're there and they're looking at this, it might be something like that, I think. But I just want to go back to something, because I think that the firms are hiring people in these spaces. The question is whether they're they, that the people in these control functions have enough juice at the organization and can really make decisions and have enough impact. And are they like I see some places who are paying people very little. Some places pay. Oh, Alan, you're so right. I can't tell you. You'll see, right? I see a job description. We want this as like zoom, all this, you know, 20 things. And then at the end you say, oh, it's a compliance associate with three to five years experience. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> it's like you want someone to do that who has three to five years experience what? on that? Come Are on. you kidding me? You know, that's, that's. Oh my God. All the time. They want to pay for right. someone who has three to five years experience. All the time. So yes. That's that what you pay for. That's yeah. the, that is what I see as the balance. And that may. It's a know, bit of short sightedness. I think, again, it's, it's the idea of how much capital do you have to spend yeah. in, in a. You know, legal and compliance is always looked at as a support role, right? You're not generating the revenue. And it seems that people on top don't necessarily want to put the infrastructure in to build their company. And they probably don't get it you know, too, right? This five or 10 years. Yeah, right. it's, it's like different. The techies or why can't I hire an outside counsel it. law firm instead yeah. of an inside counsel? And, and I always say, well, because the inside person is going to know your business and you need to know your own operations to yeah. figure out how to get regulated. Your outside counsel is going to not necessarily have that type of inside that knowledge. Inside counsel or compliance officer still has to have a voice and the ability to say mm-hmm. yes or no. Um, and that, you know, $50,000 a year, three to five years experience, the question is, will they have that authority? And will no, they have the maturity yeah. to make the judgment? And the maturity. Yeah. Right? Will they be or able the to guts say, to stand up to the CEO? Right. It's exactly. hard. Exactly. I mean, it's hard for like, you know, a grown adult like us here, but let alone, you know, <laughs> so in 25, you know what I mean? To, to with only a few years of experience. So yeah. Hey, hey, Ellen, can I go back to something you said about disposable income? So another big trend is ESG in yes. terms, and ESG, like I think most people, and I'll put myself in that camp. I'm not really well educated in this space. You know, you think of, okay, green energy, climate control. But this is a big growing area and it's much more textured, right? There's, there's so it's, much more. It's much more, it is, there's the E, <clears throat> right? Which you think of as environmental issues. The S, which is social issues, which includes, you know, as we went through just this week, what we saw with George Floyd trial and the G is governance. So social is diversity and inclusion. Social is many things within social um, culture of an organization, et cetera. And then there's the G of how you govern all of this and how you look at all of this as a whole. And so I think this is a big space. The the concern, or the, the, at least what we've seen today is how much of it is talk, how much of it is paper, and how much of it is real. There's something called greenwashing, like whitewashing, only green, you know, where you're sort of talking about our, our, our um, firms just sort of saying that they're doing stuff on the climate, but not really actually putting their money where their mouth is, or you have a, you know, you've got a, um, a goal towards something in 2050, you know, and that kind of thing. And so 
how do you really looking, but I do think I feel more and more and more, it's not just the law firms who talk about it on LinkedIn or, you know, or other places. I think more and more there is reality coming to this. It's not fully matured yet, but I do think it's a big space and that people who have a compliance background in general can absolutely be successful in this space. I'm encouraged by it because it, it's another way of saying long-term uh, stakeholderism as opposed to short-term shareholder capitalism, which, you know, the the reality is maximizing profits at, at the lowest cost and compliance ends up being the um, the expense budget that's significantly cut. And um, whereas ESG is looking out for society, looking out for the safety of employees, uh, looking out for the right technology um, and governance at the end of the day, because the G is not just the board, it's compliance risk um, and other controls. And so, I think it is here to stay, particularly because the S part is society and society like last week. And, and I think going forward, will continue to, to be very vocal, to scream, so to speak, for these stakeholders to be seen and, and protected. And, and the typical firm, whether they be financial institutions, energy companies, et cetera, have long deprioritized because of short-term gains, um, the importance of E, S, and G. So great for compliance because in this environment uh, and this administration, I think going back to the regulators is there'll be more supervision, more scrutiny, and, and more enforcement. Speaking about the, the new employees want to see it, right? Yes. Employees yes. want yes. to know they're working for a place yes. that yes. feels this. Um, and so our employees a stakeholder. In some ways, you know, some firms would say employees are the most important stakeholder, oh. but it is because um, they you can't have a firm without employees. It's such a change, Alan, right? So like um, Coinbase, we talked about that earlier. So Armstrong, the CEO, was uh, went on record saying basically, hey, we don't want to talk politics here. We don't want to talk social issues here. And if you do, you're free to leave. And it wasn't acrimoniously, so you're free to leave. We'll give you a severance and, and you can go your, you know, your way. But you have other companies that are just the opposite, where they, you know, they want to discuss it. And particularly, I noticed I'm a Gen Xer, but I definitely noticed you know younger millennials, and I'm kind of generalizing here, and, and and Gen Zs. That's what they want in a company. They want a company that has the same purpose, the same values, and Ethical it's an values. interesting trend how that's happening. Whereas I think, I'm, no, I, I I agree, Jack. I just I'm curious to see how it. How, let's say a smaller company, how are they going to afford those kinds of programs? Um, and then, you know, I think this is a, this is an area of the law that seems to be even younger than crypto. Yes. In my opinion, just because it's, it's, yeah. it's been around, but I, you don't see, you know, like I said, the SEC and, and CFTC are regulating crypto. Who's regulating ESG? I mean, I don't know who the, is, is there the rules is there... and the laws and it's, okay. it seems to be more yet. of a self-regulatory yeah. situation. And I think that certain companies that have the, um, you know, the, the portfolio and the balance sheet to be able to afford some mm -hmm. of these programs are able to get into this space, but what about some of the smaller or medium-sized firms that just aren't going to be able to put any money necessarily towards um, those functions? And you still see the laws, you know, the, the laws haven't changed since it, corporate boards are still beholden to their shareholders um, and making sure there's revenue. Do you, do you cut that revenue to promote these programs that aren't required by law? I, I um, and how do you, how do you, how do you justify some of those actions? And, and yes, if you have the shareholders that support these new types of rules, but just like you said, I mean, um, if a company comes out against something or for something and then they lose half of their market base because of that stance, then then how do the shareholders feel? Or activist shareholders, anything you do can be a, you know attacked by an activist shareholder, right? Sure. So right. if you if you spend the money on that, you can be attacked because you don't have short-term, you know, success. I think that's the issue because it's too shareholder-centric and, and the management will react faster to what a shareholder thinks than what society thinks, what the employee right. thinks. And I think these are great points because in some ways, these laws and regs, particularly around employee safety, food uh, safety, have been around forever. It's just that the firms have deprioritized, ignored employee safety, food safety, and, and many other aspects. And the G comes 
into even greater play, I think, and the S. So there's so much focus on the environment and climate change and certain aspects of societal change, which is important, but it's the existing laws and regs that are now coming to the forefront, which have been around long, a long time because these are long-term requirements. And the shareholder needs to take a step back, which I know they won't, but that's where the board comes in to, to reprioritize what the firm's objectives need to be going forward. Even for small companies uh, that are privately held, they need to remember that it's the employee's safety and day-to-day -day activities that, that keep the engine running. Well, that's risk management. That's a general yes. risk management. Yes. To, to yes. raise two, two points that you bring up, one, I'm curious what you guys think. So, you know, President Biden has announced he's championing, a, I want to say it's like a $2.5 trillion infrastructure program, and a large chunk of it is going to be allocated towards green energy and clean energy. And if that goes through and gets passed, that do you think that would be a game changer? And he's saying that could create millions of jobs because these are people who work on solar energy, windmills, you name it. Do you think that's that's that could be a reality? Do you think it get passed? And if so, would that be the needed impetus to really get ESG on the map for real? You know what I mean? Because if you're putting two point trillion, it's not all for green energy; it's for building highways, you know, bridges, all that kind of stuff. But do you think that could really be the game changer? I think maybe you need a statutory change to say who you're, you know, who a uh, publicly traded company is responsible to right right I, because otherwise you're always going to be subject to third party you know uh shareholder suits and so mm. if you can be very clear as to who what what your responsibility is and it's not unfair for an organization for a board to say hey this is who we are responsible for under the law we can do what we like to do you know uh, otherwise and, and try to do as much as we can but at the end of the day we have a duty to our shareholders and whether it's short term or long term, we can make that, you know, we can make that valuation, we can try to, you know, show that. But without sort of more to say that you must you should be taking into account interests of st other stakeholders, mm -hmm. then I don't know how you actually really get through some of this. So, so, so what you're saying example. is that it's you could have all the money flowing into it and all this, but if the companies themselves aren't saying in the board aren't saying we're prioritizing it and this is important it's going to be hard to, to make change. This is how we measure these different things. Yeah. This is how we prioritize them. Yeah. And, and this is our, these are our legal obligations. And, and yeah, convincing your shareholder that it's going to add to the bottom line, that 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 by participating and making sure that you're following the, all the environmental and social rules, um, that your company is actually going to be more profitable instead of less. So it would be interesting where think that's state a hard... laws come in, because to, to Ellen's point, it's the states that mandate what a, a board is responsible for Delaware being the perfect example, yeah, right. Delaware, um, and business the business judgment rule prevailing, but it's the shareholder suits that that drive the behavior, if you will, of, of the board and, and management. But interestingly, just a real anecdote is the states after Sarbanes Oxley and, and a lot of these major crises quickly passed laws to to shield directors from shareholder lawsuits. And, and if they really wanted to look longer term, they've got the ability to also change these laws to hold the boards and management more accountable, but also change the shape and direction of longer term objectives, not just short term shareholders. So it'll be interesting to see where all this money is Eric, going, including the state yeah. legislature. I'll give you an example, because I wrote about this in Forbes. So there's this hedge fund called inclusive capital or some some variation. I, I might be spaced out of exact name, but then there's a whole organization behind it with some global heavyweights, politics, professors, what have you. And, but for the hedge fund side, what they're doing, hedge fund slash PE, they were going to old school companies, let's say like Exxon. And they, instead of just saying, instead of just trying to do it from scratch, they're going to these old school companies and try to retrofit them to make them more environmentally friendly. So they're taking a different approach and saying, wow. just like you guys were saying, hey, this is gonna be accretive to shareholders because we're taking these measures and by doing these measures, we're still gonna have a great company, but we're gonna be better for the environment and, and it's gonna be better for the bottom line. So I thought that was kind of an interesting way to tackle it. 
rather from the ground up, they're going to these old, you know, these companies. Um, so, so Jack, I think that's all really good. The question is, how do you really know whether someone's done it or not? How do you enforce right. it? So that's what the SEC yeah. is going to focus on, right? They want, they're not, so far they haven't said, here's the standard. They're just saying, if you're putting something out, you better be consistent with what you're putting out. So if you have your ESG report or even, you know, whatever your, um, you know, your disclosures are, and you're saying you're going to do X, Y, and Z, then you have to be doing X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. They have not yet said what you what you have to do or what the standards are right. for what you have to do. But if you're going to say it, you better do it. Like Coca-Cola, like Delta, you know, some of which backpedaled because they were <laughs> yeah. very vocal at, at one, on one day and then had to kind of walk it back another yeah. day because of short-term shareholder um, right. demands and returns. Hey, Ellen, from your vantage point, you know, mm -hmm. running a large... Uh, management consulting firm. I know we were talking a lot about crypto and Bitcoin and, and, and FinTech and ESG. What other trends have you been seeing lately in terms of where kind of these, you know, Wall Street financial services, you know, those spaces, where they're heading, what's going on, what's new, what people may not be aware of? Fraud is one of the biggest areas. Okay. Fraud, first of all, because of all the stimulus, you know, products that are out there. But I think unemployment fraud is massive in this country right now, which is state, you know, and who the, who's being heard is basically the states and the state budgets for that. Having said that, the financial institutions who have, who have accounts for the, you know, for the people who might be receiving it or might erroneously be, you know, not, maybe not, there's a lot of like, do you do account takeover. Do you guys do work on that? Oh, tons of it. Okay, I got. Can I can I get a quote for you for one of my articles about it? Because like <laughs> I write, I write because I write every month about the job report, and then usually the weekly. Like today, I wrote about the weekly job report, and yeah, they're talking in the last three to six months. All of a sudden, they're talking about fraud, 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 but they just talk in general terms, like not like our what exactly is going oh, on. What there's they do. so much stuff going on in that space. Account takeover is is really quite a big deal. What is How account you, to takeover? Meaning that somebody takes over your account. They say you are at you know. Look, for unemployment fraud, I'll just give you an example. There are all these people who are getting the identities of dead people, but going in and going and saying that they are, you know, having that oh they uh, have lost their job. And they go in and to the states and they apply for unemployment insurance and they are getting it, but it's going right. to somebody who's dead. And they uh, and so there's a lot of that that goes on. There's a lot of things like that. So we work with lots of, you know, both because Guidehouse is both the public public sector side and the commercial side. We work with the organizations, the commercial organizations who have to have to look for fraud, right? That's your obligation as any financial institution to look for that. But the true victims are can be the state or the federal government. So that it comes out in all different ways. But if you think about all of these stimulus programs, the point is to get the money out to the people who need it, right? They do you that with the PPP too, right? There's it, like it's a, all, all of the programs are like that. You want to get them, these people, there's a reason for these programs. People are in pain and need and in great need to get that money. But when you, if you get it out too fast or you get it out, you know, you have to balance the control impact versus the controls around putting out that money with getting the money in the hands of the right people. And so you may, you know, maybe the governments want to go one way or the other and they say, look, I'll take the, I'll risk some fraud because I got to get that money to people who need well, it. Right? Isn't that what they did with the PPP? They wanted to get it out. And then when you saw who got the P, who got it, it was intended right. for that, small businesses. And then you had all these massive businesses, you know, gobbled yeah, but that, up. That, the, the size of the business is one thing. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean there was fraud involved, right? The size of the business is mm -hmm. just, that's how this, that's how the statute, the statute worked out. Maybe the okay. statute wasn't written properly. But, right. And but that's more people got the stimulus than maybe we thought should. Um, but there wasn't as much fraud, I don't think, in that. I think when Ellen talks yeah. about yeah. the individuals and the fact that you can go onto the dark web and you can buy people's, you know, uh, copies of their IDs and all of their personal information, and then all you have to do is set up an account in their name, especially, you know, in our in our space, in the fintech space, where, you know, you don't have that person-to-person -person contact in the brick-and-mortar institution anymore. You don't have people walking in to apply for an account. You have them doing it online. Didn't that happen in a prison where there are a lot of inmates who conducted like this massive, massive fraud? Is or is that so an urban myth you know, or that really happened? I, I will say there, there are many legendary stories here. Yeah. The percentage though is pro even though it may be a high number, the percentage mm -hmm. is actually pretty low given the amount of PPP that went out. The percentage is, is probably quite low. It's just the numbers are high. Yeah. But um, I just but it is it's it's not just that one, right? It's it's and it is all really well intended. It's it's the idea 
is the government is making a decision. I need to get money. People are, need mm. this money. This is how we have to do it. And there's always going to be a risk in that, that there will be some fraud. Because and the irony of calling it the infrastructure bill is not having the infrastructure to get it from the federal government through the states to ultimately right. the people that need it the most. So that I mean, so there are there are, but so I what I see in the in fraud. this world right now. What other stuff? What other cool fraud. stuff do you? If you want to say fraud is cool, but what other, what other no, interesting? But you know, okay, looking at stuff. human trafficking. Frankly, yeah. that's another area that on the financial services side, there's a lot of focus on trying to identify human trafficking. In you know, no one, no institution wants to have human trafficking going through their place. No crypto firm wants to be wants their their coins to be used to support human trafficking. No, it's very hard. Or the to, terrorist financing. Yeah. Ter exactly. Same thing. Correct. So that there's a lot of focus. I I see a lot more focus on human trafficking right now. Not the terrorist mm -hmm. financing isn't always there. Yeah, it was. That was a couple of years ago. We've really moved on <laughs> to human trafficking. The past it's couple not, of years. I mean, they still no one wants to support terrorism either. No, 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 <laughs> we don't want to support either. But yeah, that's right. We're not going to say that's right. But, um, but I, I do think the human trafficking is very, and maybe some of it came out a lot because of the dreamers or because of the focus on, on immigration. Right. You did right. see how that, you know, really led to a lot of human trafficking and people trying to get out of countries and get into the United States. And so there's been a lot of focus on that. It is not easy to have alerts, the alert you might look for in a financial services um, transaction monitoring system, it's not so easy to pick up human trafficking because what can look like human trafficking can also look like very typical activity. And you usually need other information to get you there. Some information from the government, a name or a place or something else that might show. There's some you can find, but it's hard. And I think there's a lot of focus on that that you see and people want to do it. You know, I we do this, we do it for companies. We also do some of it pro bono because this is a bit, very big issue and our people want to do this and really want to feel good about the work they do and apply what they've used in other places to sort of to focus on this area. So I see a lot in that space too. And is the third party risk uh, a big part of the, the trafficking equation or is it more in terms of KYC or just it's transaction form? monitoring? It's you yeah. can see it, you know, but you have to like, you know, at a hotel, all of a sudden there's a lot of activity at a particular hotel, but you need usually more information than the bank will have in front of it. Mm. So there's got to be a, that's a real public private partnership issue. Because if they can tell you certain things and you can look for certain things, then you can actually look for that those patterns. But some of the patterns may look like truckers coming in and out of a hotel, you know, too. You have to just sort of know some of these different issues and be able to address it. But I think that that's an area that there's a lot of a lot of focus on, a lot of like consortiums relating to that, a lot of NGOs that are that are really very um, very uh, vocal and rightly so. But I think I do think the immigration issues have pushed this a bit to the forefront. Do you see any other kind of trending things that that most people like, you know, when you bring it up, I bet you people who are watching you now watch you later, they're going to have their eyes open to like, I didn't never thought of it. I didn't. You know. Consumer protection. I mean, the CFPB is going to be, I, I think, very, very active. And there's a new and, person coming in, right? To run yes, it now. Right. And so I think okay. that, that they actually were even last year, there was a lot of activity in consumer protection, but we've seen, you know, first day letters that are coming out fast and furious right now to organizations. And because there are so many, bank and non-bank lenders in this space um, and providers in this space that there's a lot of focus on consumer protection across the org you know across all different ways and so whether it's a, a money service business whether it's a payday lender you know whether it is a non-bank mortgage company all of those i think there's going to be a lot of focus on uh consumer protection issues yep. I is, think it, that is includes... it because they feel there were problems before and they need to address it or <laughs> just... i think it's the new administration <laughs> I mean, I I probably mean... are and and more like how debt. diplomatic i am about america no but more people yeah. taking on debt right yeah. and, and greater and more focus and on not this. enough enforcement and yeah. i think the other issue too um which is a subset of consumer protection is privacy particularly um, in Europe and privacy touches everything, whether it be the crypto or the, um, um, or just day-to-day -day financial activity. So, and the, I think Europe is further ahead than, than uh, the US in terms of not only having the laws, but certainly the enforcement, the sharp enforcement. Mm -hmm. 
I think. That, but and as Marianne said on the dark web, if you can buy people's, you know, um, how do they, how are they getting it on the dark web? How how does it get there? And so there's a big that's a big issue. Do you think then? From I think we started kind of going this direction a little bit, you know, putting politics aside, but just being analytical about it, you know, under Trump, and he was very vocal and honest about saying, hey, I'm not for reg regulations, you know, for every one new regulation, we're right. going to rip up two, so you put it out there. And do you think with Gensler, and I can't recall the, the gentleman's name who's heading up the CFPB and Shop others well. who are coming in, do you think, if nothing else, they almost have an obligation to kind of look back and see, hey, what may have happened over the last years and then, you know what I mean? So you have this other thing going on too, just to make sure you don't have There's this- There's plenty just in enforcement, yeah. you know, right? So if you just said, forget creating new new regulations and there right. may be new regulations that, are, that should be out there, but I'm not even commenting on that. I'm just saying just enforcing what's on the books mm -hmm. is the Interesting issue, right? laws, because they've been around forever. There, there are plenty of consumer protection laws, but but now saying, okay, you know, you can't go someplace to someone's workplace to try to, um, you know, enforce your judgment against them or to try to do, you know, what you can. And, and Jack, to your question of retroactively looking, yeah. um, rules are one thing, penalties are another. So these investigations may have carried over from the Trump administration to the Biden administration and, and the agencies under them, but the outcome guilty, not guilty, deferred prosecution, or worse, I think the monetary penalties are going to be much higher, which again, from Eric, on AMLA, they increased the penalties for money laundering, right? Yep. And they increased the amount that a whistleblower can get. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So it's a big payments going out. What, what, what's the last like $50 million or something I thought I read? I mean, there's some it's, well, the biggest, I think the biggest one may have come from the Swiss, Swiss bank where the individual who was a big whistleblower got 30 million or something like that, but he spent a year and a half in an orange jumpsuit eating bologna sandwiches too. <laughs> I mean, he, he was part right. of the problem mm -hmm. and he, but he also spent, I think, 18 months in jail, but got one of the biggest whistleblower, you know, awards ever. Now so, sorry, Alan, I, I would say on whistleblowers, I think one thing, and it's not easy, um, but the sleeper issue is retaliation. The, yeah. the, the rate of retaliation is, is just- Eric, you've been working, have you seen that internally with, or, or Noah, you know, heard through the grapevine internally of, of that happening to people? Yes, Yeah. absolutely. And there's lots of surveys from the ECI and, and others, which from companies directly around the, just the exponential jump in not just the fear of retaliation, but actual retaliation. and. The worse it gets, the less whistleblowers will be allowed to escalate these issues. And going back to everything we're talking about, fraud, dark web, um, all the wrongs of what companies are, are doing are not surfacing up uh, to the board and others. And so now is a great opportunity for Congress and state governments global uh, governments to really tackle it because they know it's a problem. They know it's an issue. They need whistleblowers, meaning employees, day-to-day -day employees to, to raise their hand without the fear. I think retaliation is, is one issue, but one of the other issues I've seen um, with some of the people I know who've spoken up is outside of that organization, what about the next organization they apply to and their personal reputation? And is another company going to say, oh, we're going to hire a whistleblower? Yes. yes. Um, and and if they get their name in the news and, and what's their career going to look like after yeah. they brought these issues to light in one situation? And is that going to derail them or cause a problem? So it's not even the retaliation of the, of the company they work for. It's, it's what about yeah. the rest of their life and the rest of right. their career and how other people will perceive their actions. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. I mean, Jack, I don't know if you see that in your work, if you see people coming to you looking for a job who've been whistleblowers and have found it hard to find work again. I have. I have. There are certain people, you know, who great jobs doing well and uh, just couldn't get right back, just couldn't get back on, you know, you know, once, once, you know, once they kind of off that ladder, it's, it's really hard. Um, it's, and it's tough because no one's going to come out as a hiring man and say, Jack, I'm not going to hire this person because they're a whistleblower, but they'll come up with other excuses why they're not Not the it. right fit. You know, right? <laughs> it's right. going to come up with other stuff. <laughs> it it's, seems to work well you know? for everything, yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we're going to keep looking. <laughs> Let's see who else mm -hmm. is out there. So it's wild. Um, 
you know, small world. So, so for the whistleblower, but actually I have a disclosure, I guess. So, so my sister-in-law, she's just, she was running this whistleblower program and she's just stepped down. So kind of, I'm pretty familiar with that program and it's, it's interesting. It's, it's, you, you know, a third I think party it's program. A, what? You mean like a third party whistleblower, like a place? Oh no, at the F for the SEC. Oh, for the SEC. Mm, yeah, yeah, well. yeah. So, I mean, it's an amazing program, but yeah. And, uh, you know, they, they've done such good work, but it's for some people who bring things up. It's, 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 it's sad. It's oh, really sad. Yeah, exactly. That's the right word. It is, but you know, it's also a double-edged sword as well because people have used it as a sword, yeah. Yeah. right? And so I've seen situations where people raised it and there wasn't value, you know, there wasn't really any merit to it, but that was how they protected themselves. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And they could get a buyout or they can get some deal who, someone who wasn't doing very well, someone who wasn't, but they could raise something and then no one wants a retaliation for, for doing it. it you shouldn't get retaliated. Even if it turns out the whistleblower is wrong. Right. Sure. Right. The, many times a whistleblower can be wrong about something, but, um, but there, but, and that, but that can stain somebody too. Absolutely. Yeah, they're not necessarily protected if they're wrong. Right. 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 But, but also, but the person who they have that they have made the allegations against is stained. Yes. Oh yeah. There's got to be so, a so it's, it's a process. Right. You want to have a really yeah. good process end to end on that because it can be so painful and so have such intense damages for all sides. Yeah. Ellen, you know, it's interesting you bring that up because I've definitely spoke to candidates who they had claims made against them, more of saying something or not, you know, not necessarily got engaged in a financial kind of misappropriation, but just maybe made a comment or uh, said something inappropriate. Appropriate sexual comments. And yeah. boom, they were kind of shown the door and some of them never, you know, found another role. Now, I don't know enough about, you know, it's one of those awkward conversations. I'm not going to say, oh, Eric, tell me, what did you say? What did you do? Right, it's, right. it's very uncomfortable for everybody involved. But that's, yeah, I guess to your point about sometimes when people bring up issues, maybe, you know, kind of opens the door. Like, what And that's happened? why I, I call it a sleeper issue, because what we're discussing is it impacts people's lives and also suppresses the problems of of companies, whether it be fraud or otherwise, it's very powerful and, it, and addressing it somehow will bring to the surface, put sunshine as I call it to disinfect um, bad things. This is amazing. It's over an hour. We covered so oh. much territory. I mean, wow. this is this is really seriously. This was I, I think I, I don't know how you feel. I think this was just amazing, amazing discussion. I think we brought up so many topics, so many issues shared so much information. I think we've turned people on to a whole lot of areas that they may, may not have thought about. Before we end, is there anything, you know, Eric and I didn't maybe bring up and ask you or anything that you really feel, hey, I'd like to add before, you know, before we end? I think we covered it, man. I think we, we spent- we, <laughs> Covered a lot, right? Covered a lot. A lot of, lot of ground, which is good because this is what mm -hmm. we're trying to accomplish here. So who, people who are watching it, you know, there may be a whole lot of people who thought, huh, you know, crypto, I don't know. And then after hearing Marianne, she's like, you know what? Let me take a look and maybe that's where I want to pivot my career. Or they hear, you know, Ellen talking about ESG, they're talking about all those, you know, you know interesting different things that are going on. Say, so, huh? You know what? I'm really passionate about the environment. Maybe, maybe this is something I, I never even thought of. This is, you know, moving my career in that direction. So I think this is this is like a, a nice benefit that we could help people because we're still in a pandemic and people yeah. are still kind of either in between jobs, they've been sheltering their jobs, just waiting it out to see what's going to happening. Or I don't know about how you know your interactions, but there's so many people who tell me that hey, I don't know if I want to do the same thing I've been doing for the next five, 10, 15 years, mm. you know, you realize life is short and fragile. I want to do something different and I want to have to do something meaningful. And I want to pivot. I want to reinvent myself. So that's what, you know, I'm trying to do with these, you know, kind of LinkedIn lives to just to open up, you know, so that people can get ideas and thoughts and figure out what to do, what's going on, you know, how, how I could change my career, change my life. So, and I think, wow, you guys offered so much valuable information. You probably not even, like, if you watch it again, you'll see what I mean. It's like just chock full of really actionable. And you know what? It was just, it was like really actionable advice. You know, you really gave tangible, you know, stuff for people to take away. So this, this is terrific. I think this is amazing. I'm so, I'm so glad that, you, you know, we were able to do this. Yeah, I agree. I love these panels. Um, they're different 
every time, but very substantive and, and a lot of fun at, and at the same time. So thank you, Alan. Thank you, Marianne. You thank you, everyone. Fantastic. Thank and, you, Jack. And Eric, oh, my pleasure. You, thank, this, is, this is great. I really appreciate you guys taking all the time out. This is fantastic. Well, thanks. Thank thank you. Great you meeting you all. Okay. Take care. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks, Jack. Hey, I think that was great. Yes. What did you think? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, are we still recording? Um, I don't know. No, I don't think so. Okay. No, it's was, it was very good. I thought lots of uh, discussion and we covered so many topics. So right. I, I think we may still be on, but it's always good saying good stuff that this was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> this yeah, is like yeah. the wrap, wrap up. So, so yeah, I think if people, I think, I'm not sure if we're still on up, but if we are, I hope everybody enjoyed. I hope they um, learned. And I think Wow, seriously, a lot of great information. A lot of great information. Next month, uh, no, another lineup, very different topics, but uh, stay tuned. Yeah. <laughs> All right. See, that's a good, that's a good coming attraction kind of thing. <laughs> Excellent. Well, you know what? This is great. I mean, wow, Ellen and Marianne, so much value, so much yes. information, so much yes, intelligence. Yes, yes. Very different backgrounds, but at the same great. time, um, great. lots to offer different perspectives. Great. Excellent. Well, thanks so much, Eric. Yep. Thank Take you. Care. Take care. Bye. Bye. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the WeCruiter podcast. If you want to check out other great content from WeCruiter, make sure to visit us at WeCruiter.io. That's W-E-C-R-U-I-C-R dot I-O. We offer tons of great resources for job seekers and professionals, so make sure to check us out today.